Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal to simplify big ideas for a greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to episode number six of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer. I am your host, and I hope our conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact with your life. Today's conversation is a really exciting conversation for me to share with you because my guest is Devin Robertson. Devin, by most people's standards, is a young leader. He stepped into the senior pastor role three years ago in his late 20s in Jackson, Michigan at Cornerstone Christian Church. Prior to that, he served as a youth pastor at two very different ministry contexts. But what I have appreciated so much about Devin is that in every situation that he has been in, his leadership abilities have shined all the brighter. He has from day one on the job navigated and had to figure out how to navigate the unknown, including having me as a brother-in-law. I have asked Devin to be a guest on our podcast because he is someone who has a great perspective about leading when you're young, leading when you feel unqualified, and quite frankly, leading when you have no idea what the future holds. So let's jump into my conversation with Devin. Well, I am honored to have on our podcast Devin Robertson. Devin, uh, welcome. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. Uh, Devin, um, we, uh, we kind of have an interesting story, you know, when Stephanie and I were going to get married, uh, you were already married into the family to one of the sisters and I literally did not have a best man. And then, then the best man that I had lined up didn't show up. And I, I was like, I don't know who else to ask. And so you fell into my life, um, through kind of that way. And it, I mean, it worked out perfect because if I had to pick somebody to be my best man, I would have picked you. And so I'm, I'm grateful that we're related to each other. Um, even though we're slightly weird, but, uh, anyways, um, Devin, I'm so glad that, um, you're willing to have a conversation with us about leadership. So, um, for those of you who, who don't know who you are, Devin, um, who are you? Uh, how did you come to faith and how did you end up doing what you're doing right now? First, I appreciate that. It was, it was, uh, it certainly was kind of fun being thrown in to be the best man last minute for that. But, uh, I've thought about that multiple times. So I've appreciated being able to be a part of that, uh, as well. Because certainly you're one that I go to on a number of occasions for things. So my story, uh, I joke as some others have as well that, uh, I was born in a pew that I, I grew up in a Christian home. I, you know, my parents even, Kind of were, were some that uh, they were active enough that um, they were they served as janitors and things like that. So you know we were church family that had keys to the building. We ran around. Um, so that was me. Uh, I, I was when youth ministry years in junior high and high school. I um, regularly was was a part of activities, youth group. I played in worship bands. Went on mission trips. I, I was. I was a part of the church in about every capacity, at least it looked like from the outside in. But really, I was kind of, um, if I'm honest, I was a church attender uh, with no real surrender to Jesus. Um, and so it was through a CIY conference and um, through a CIY conference I didn't want to be at, to be honest. But I was, uh, my dad thankfully forced me to go. Um, and I was kind of sitting there in the front row one night, the first night in worship. Um, you know, we have the best seats that everybody wants. And we were sitting there. I was sitting there, grumpy, arms crossed, because I didn't want to be there. And long story short, um, 
got to get a hold of my life um, that week through other people, through speakers, through just the whole experience of there. And uh, the rest is relatively history. There were, there were bumps in the road after that. But, um, you know, after I, after I came to faith, um, I was around 16 or so. Um, I, I really got, got into athletics and things in high school. So when I graduated from high school, you know, I, I, I knew I, the two, my two big sports were cross country and tennis. And I uh, ended up playing tennis for a, a um, for Division three university um, for a year. And again, it's just kind of that uh, God got my attention uh, uh, type situation again, where I, I drifted a long ways. And I, I wish I could get into more of that, but don't know that we have time for it. But uh, uh, ended up looking for, for uh, a Bible college. I knew that God had called me into ministry. And so out of my like idolatry of all sorts of things um, during that time period, within like a year, I'm, I'm at Ozark Christian College and two weeks of being at Ozark, I get hired on as a, as a youth slash children's minister for a small country church. They had no business. Well, I'll talk about this. They had no business hiring me. And, and yet um, they, they took a chance on me and it was a great experience, um, one that I'll be indebted to forever, um, that we saw God do a lot of things through. So during that time too, I, I uh, uh, got married into the Moyers. I got married into them. She technically, I guess, she got married and came into the Robertson clan. But you know how it goes. Uh, we all feel like we're part of the Moyers gang rather than vice versa. So we got married and uh, um, we started having kids. And during that time, we we made a, a ministry transition to um, Marshalltown, Iowa, which is near where I grew up. And um, uh, served there for four years in the area of youth ministry and did all sorts of things. It was a great experience. Learned a lot during that time um, to where, which led us to where we are today, which is in Jackson, Michigan, serving as lead minister at Cornerstone uh, Christian Church. So there's like the big snapshot. Um, just uh, about 11 years or so of ministry. Um, started really young and um, have a, a a wide scope of experience within those those 11 years is kind of a snapshot i guess of my background that's cool yeah and i've got to know got to know you we've we've had a lot of conversations throughout this whole um process you know from walker missouri to jackson and it's it's pretty cool because our lives have paralleled each other that we both um, went to similar sized churches, you know, similar settings, and um, there's just a lot of similarities. And so, well, it, not only that, but there's a huge thing thrown at you, right, with this whole pandemic. And uh, that has been a major curveball thrown at um, virtually everybody, but especially those who are in any kind of leadership role. Um, Devin, on a personal level, what has God been teaching you in this season, in this time? Yeah, and curveball is right. I mean, it's not something that anybody really could formally prepare for, I, I, I guess. Uh, well, I suppose you could, but nobody saw it coming. <laughs> and um, so, but for me personally, there's lots of things I could probably talk about leadership-wise. But for me personally, that kind of under, that was kind of under the surface of all, everything leadership was the first thing was, we were, I mean, Illinois was, was pretty crazy with the pandemic too, but um, you know, in Michigan, things really took off in a hurry, and we're not far from Detroit, um, where really from Jackson, Michigan, Ann Arbor, and Detroit, there's a whole lot of like connections and transportation, lots of things that happen. So 
when the pandemic and, and the virus just kind of took off in cases in Detroit and kind of went our direction, it got real, really quickly. Um, and especially immediately how we didn't know what was really happening. We didn't know how, um, obviously it's serious, but we didn't know, nobody knew, nobody knew like what, what the effects of this virus were, how you got all sorts of different things. And so, so there's a lot of fear that came with that, um, you know, personally, and of course, communally. Um, so I, I guess the first thing for me was settling in my mind, which I've always struggled with, was is having an eternal perspective is so much of what we do from day to day is thinking about the here and now. And, um, and it really was kind of a good wake up call for me. It's like, okay, if, if I really, if I really believe what I believe, um, that, that this, this, this world is a, is a, um, we're temporary residents preparing for an eternal kingdom or living as eternal citizens now, uh, then it's time to start living like it. And so putting on my, um, citizenship, or uh, not that you took it off, but remembering my eternal citizenship of the unshakable kingdom um, that Hebrews talks about um, was a big piece that I had to do to, um, not not for sanity, but it was just a wake-up call to remember my first identity. And then kind of through it, um, when kind of the fear wore off and it kind of became a normal, if you will, I mean, just we all got acclimated to staying at home, to wearing masks when we go to the store. I mean, all this stuff, when that all kind of slowed down a little bit and it became a part of life in a sense, um, for me, it became a wake-up call, whether in a whether I'm in an elders meeting or whether I'm on social media or where I am, to be slow to speak um, is to not feel like I have to speak into absolutely everything, mm. that um, everybody has opinions on various things that are taking place. And I don't always need to give my opinion. And frankly, I've seen a lot of Christians who were and, and ministers who and leaders um, who were quick to give their opinions on things. And it just simply hurt their witness and it, and it, and it uh, hurt their influence. Um, and so just to kind of not feel like I always have to be speaking, um, but but to be listening um, and allowing God through 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 all the chaos and the uncertainty allow God to instill truth into me and to um, spend some time in the Proverbs <laughs> and just be kind of slow to speak, um, quick to listen and slow to speak that process. So there's like two big personal things, I guess, for me. Hmm. That's good. And, and Dev, Devin, I agree. There's nothing, uh, you know, listening to a whole, um, whole gamut of other people, they're like, yeah, nothing prepared me for this, you know. Um, but, you know, looking back, I mean, you've had a series of, you know, crises and other challenges. When you look back on your life, do you see anything that kind of prepared you for how to handle something like this? Yeah, and more on the, the leadership side of things. Um, and, and that, and that there, there's two things, I, I, I suppose, again, is that I, it was instilled to me that as a church leader, you know, you, our, our primary focus as a church, and I'm going to talk more about this here in a second too, is, um, is mission is the driver that for the church mission should be, should be the focus. And if mission is the focus then the church is always adapting, we're always changing. We're always changing our methods. We're always changing our strategies. And so it was natural to me to say, um, as, as things really change culturally, to say, well, automatically, we've got to 
we've got to adapt how we well, do church. We've got to adapt how we stay connected. We've got to adapt how we share the word. We've got to adapt how we do mission. And so adaptation for me was, it was really cool to see, to see the way that the church, I think the church, um, at least at least within our, our culture, that's all I can see, adapts just as well as anybody, if not better. I mean, did a great job of, of coming up with resources and staying connected with people and to be able to adapt in times of, of need. And for me, it was just kind of a natural transition because as church leaders, if you're not adapting, you're probably dying. Um, and, and so it was um, I just, just that overall process of always, of always um, thinking missionally and, and as a result, adapting to what you need to do to get things done um, became a natural part of the transition into a pandemic. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Uh, in, you know, not having, I guess that goal to hit, you, you know, you feel like you're kind of um, adaptation almost can become an enemy, you know, because you're trying mm-hmm. to hit everything at once. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, even like with what you were saying, you know, there, there was a sense early on where you're, you felt like you should speak to everything. And yet you're like, I don't even know what I should say. And um, so, you know, not having that, ha- having that target, you know, kind of can, can hinder a lot of, uh, a lot of that. Um, so Devin, I guess looking down the road, however, lo- however long this uh, is the, the, the new odd normal, um, are there any things that, um, as things kind of reopen back up um, and when it comes to, I guess, leadership in general, but, you know, maybe, maybe just, you know, like even the church, are there any things that um, are causes of concern for you about the future or even maybe causes of extreme excitement about the future? Yeah. um, There's multiple things I suppose that I can say that I'm concerned about. Um, uh, I, I guess I'll just start with the unknown is it, just not knowing. I mean, and again, that kind of comes back to what I said a second ago is that we're always adapting, but just the unknown of particularly where we're talking about, at least within our context, we're talking about re-entry, um, not a restart. We're very careful about saying, look, the church, we, we have not closed as a church. We have not, um, it, we, we just haven't been physically gathering, that the church is still alive and it's still active and we've still seen cool things through this. We're just talking about a re-entry of gathering together um, again, which there's some of the positive. I think I think there's a, been a positive thing that the church has learned through this, and that is the church is not restricted to a gathering. The church is far bigger than that. Um, that perhaps God is teaching a huge lesson to the church in the midst of all of this. That um, if you can't be the church um, because you can't gather once a week, then maybe your vision of church is too small. <laughs> and so I think God has helped teach teach the church um, what the church is <laughs> through, th- through this process. Uh, but, th- but the concern like the, the, the concern is with the re-entry is how do we re-engage safely and how do we balance this idea of safely re-engaging with, um, with also having emphasis on, on the spiritual health? Is at what point, this is going to be hard for me to explain because I'm having trouble processing in my head, is that as we talk about this re-entry plan, is how do we balance between physical safety and um, spiritual health? Mm. Is at what point do you sacrifice some things within your gathering 
that contributes to spiritual health. I mean, physically gathering is a spiritual act. There is something to be said. I mean, I, I don't think we should be talking about forever, as, as I've heard some do, and I think this is unhealthy process to go down, about not gathering physically for a long period of time. I don't think that's healthy. A temporary, a, a temporary um, time, I think, is healthy. I think it's biblical. I think there's quarantine messages through uh, the Old Testament. Those, those are there, that to take a break for the health of the community and is a good thing. Um, so I'm not saying this is evil or wrong not to be gathering. Of course not. But at what point do you, with, with the potential risk of physical health, at what point do you sacrifice the spiritual benefits to gathering um, together? And, and so that's, a, that's what I'm concerned about is, is I don't want to gather in a sense that it's so sterile that we actually don't really get to interact <laughs> and we don't really get to socialize. And so I, I, that, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a struggle uh, for me is balancing between operating in fear and operating wisely. Um, and, and, and seeing the value in that there is some, there is some sound risk to be taken to be able to gather in person uh, with people because we are created for community. And as much as, as much as technology and online resources have been a tremendous value, um, and, and it's been amazing. I mean, it's been amazing to be able to have these resources available to us in this time. Um, I think we've all also realized, which is just my positive, I think we've also realized that that's not enough. That for so long, um, well, as long as I've been in ministry, many people ask, well, why do I have to go to church? And I, and I think many people that are truly following Jesus aren't asking that question, aren't going to ask that question anymore. I think now they're going, now I see. <laughs> now I see the value in being with people. I think we very much underestimated what, uh, real face-to-face -face contact um, meant to each other. That the, do I have to go to church, I think, is, is a moot discussion. At least it will be for a period of time here, because now we know what it's really like to not be able to physically gather and see physically one another. Hmm. So you think that that, that question of... Um, I, I, I guess that individual spirituality within Christianity that, that said I can be uh, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Do you, do you think that's kind of you see that as kind of going away because people are actually experiencing what that actually means and what that's actually like? Yeah, I I, I do think so. And in, while I've seen a couple comments here and there of people saying. Um, it's interesting that uh, as our church, I've heard those comments. There's been, there's been one comment particular that I've seen that, well, I wonder how many people are just going to be settled for Zoom church from now on. And ironically, that's somebody that wasn't really connected at all in the first place. Mm. It's somebody that wasn't really a part of the community. And, and, but it's those that even to some extent, you know, that were, that were to any level connected with real people. Um, I'm seeing are ready to even take a risk of their physical health at their own cost to be able to be gathered in person again. And, I, and we're seeing, let's, let's take it, let's, let's, let's just take a step back from the spiritual health side. We're seeing physical health dangers to people not having interaction with other people. Mm. Um, I, I think, I think we're seeing affirmation of biblical truth and the importance of community and just people's mental health. If we would just study that and compare it to what God says about being in community, that it's not good for man to be alone. If we would put those two things together, we would recognize that 
um, there's affirmation to biblical truth here. Uh, <laughs> like, like God knows what he's talking about. Surprise. Um, that we are made for community uh, with one another and we're missing it right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Devin shifting gears um, just a bit uh, in many people's eyes, you're a young leader. Uh, I'm a young leader. And though I guess watching you in the different contexts that you have been in, you know, uh, Walker, Iowa, uh, Michigan, um, you have, to me, consistently shown that, at least in your wisdom and your insights, uh, you're not a young in, in those areas. You know, you, you, you've shown some, uh, quite a bit of maturity when it comes to leadership skills and abilities and insights. Um, what are some lessons that, you know, you've learned along the way about leading while being young? Yeah, um... Well, there's a lot, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I've made a lot of boneheaded decisions. Um, but I, and the first thing I want to preface, I, I, I've got, I've got a few here, but I want to preface one with, I want to preface all of them with, with the fact of being mission driven as the church is that all, and, and that's by the way, whether you're a, 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 a spiritual leader, like whether you're a minister or, or whether you're a lay leader, or what, whatever role you play as a part of the church, these, these apply in some capacity. And especially this whole preface you think here is that we can't forget that as a church that we're primary of missional people, that we're on mission. And we've been at our church, we, um, we've, we've been going through the book of Revelation. And um, I've always believed the church is, is mission-centered. But when we, when we got into studying Revelation chapter 2 of the, the the beginning of the letters of the churches. The first letter was the church in Ephesus, and it ends with um, the rebuke or, or 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 the the threat of punishment for the church in Ephesus was I am going to remove if you don't repent I'm going to remove your lampstand. Um, mm. So that's 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 the idea of I'm going to remove your identity as a Christian church. Well, let's just go ahead and draw that connection that analogy of lampstand. What does a lampstand do? It it produces light for those around it. it. Draws us straight back to Matthew chapter five, where Jesus says, "You are restoring." I mean, this is looking forward to the church, the light of the world. Uh, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That our role is to be a light. Our role is to be a missional people and to impact those around us. And we can too easily get wrapped up in doing church, remaining status quo. Um, and that's what's been cool about this pandemic. Going back there is it's been a reminder that. Status quo, just gathering, just meeting for a worship service is not what it is. It's not synonymous with what it means to be the church. It's just a great tool that we have as the church. Um, so all that being said is mission driven is the priority to all, all the things that I want to share with the lessons that I've learned. And, and that's the very first thing was um, I mentioned that when I was hired at Walker Christian Church, little country, little country church, um, and I... I had no business really being in that role. I, now I was quickly learning and I was eager to learn and I, 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 um, I was willing and I had this passion to begin to serve in ministry, which is why I was, um, I guess, naive enough to, to uh, connect with this church. And, and perhaps it, it was just my zeal or passion that they were like, well, this guy might be able to help us out a little. And, uh, and they've since told me that. They told me that in their mind, um, they were going to be able to 
support a a poor Bible college student uh, at, at least, and at best in their mind, they were going to um, have a successful minister that helped minister to their church, which this is where the lesson comes in for me is I very much in retrospect can look back at this little country church, which I am in, I will forever be indebted to. And, um, and I see what Southeast did with Bob Russell is that when Southeast Christian church was 150 people, they contacted the Bible college where Bob Russell was and said, Hey, give us a list of names of some, of some great graduates. And then they said this statement, give us those great graduates and we are going to make him successful. We are going to make him successful. Mm. That's key because so often um, there will be a, a church or leaders that will say, we want this minister to fit this mold and to do what we want him to do. And this was just the opposite. This was, this was them saying, we want to be successful on mission as a church. And we know that we're going to have a, a key, we're going to have a key mouthpiece. We know that we're going to have a key leader and we are going to help him come alongside him to be successful. And what I learned in those first years at Walker, I can, I've held with me. I mean, Scott, in our conversations with you, I've, you know, out of these lessons, I've encouraged you with things. You've probably encouraged me with things in this is, is that um, the most successful leaders are those who have a variety of people around them. Um, they're, they're people that have, um, like for me, the greatest influencers I had at that, uh, at that church were, were, were men that had very little ministry experience. That were that were farmers, but what they did was they loved Jesus and they wanted to help me be successful, and we were, <laughs> and we were because they were willing to try and adapt, um, and, and and they were willing to first invest in a relationship with me, and then to speak into me spiritually and allow me as a twenty year old that didn't know what he was talking about to speak into them, um, that it didn't matter how old I was to them, they were going to look at what I had to offer, and I'm sure I had. Some, I didn't have much, but they were going to grasp what was worth something, and uh, and they were going to give it give it right back. And as a result, that church moved forward in amazing, amazing ways. Um, it wasn't until this last year that still in that little tiny country church that that was the most baptisms I had ever seen. It was two years in a row, most baptisms I've ever seen in a row and been a part of firsthand. Um, that for almost ten years, that that record that record stood. And it's because there was a group of men that were willing to come alongside me and help me to be successful. And I'm seeing the same thing in my, my present church now is um, I followed a minister that was, um, <laughs> that had been there for a long, 44 years he had served. And it was really daunting to step into his shoes. Um, and he had, after 44 years of ministry in one church, you've got a lot of wisdom, you've got a lot of experience. And yet the day that I stepped into that role, the leaders that I had around me said, this is the guy, whether he knows everything or not, this is the guy that we're going to help be successful. We're going to support him. If there's something we don't quite agree with, I'm going to I'll talk and we'll ask questions about it. But we were one team together. And it was through the different backgrounds and through the different generations coming together um, that I have been able to become a successful leader in season. Whatever that, by the way, I'm defining success again, missionally seeing people come to Jesus and seeing people grow in their relationship with Jesus. That's what success means. Not, and, and especially in my current context and especially in my first context of walk context of Walker, that was what was a win. It, it wasn't them trying to get me to fit some mold. It was them 
um, saying, we want to win together, um, kingdom win. And so what I had to do was allow, be humble enough. Let me give one, I, I, I don't want to drag this out too long here, but I want to give one example of just the one really silly thing at Walker was, uh, was uh, I learned in youth ministry class. I was youth minister at the time. Um, and they basically, I heard the message loud and clear. You should not do lock-ins. Lock-ins are no-go. You should never do a lock-in. And so I came back to my church, even though the lock-ins were one of the biggest things they did at church, I came back and said, hey, we shouldn't do lock-ins anymore. Um, and so this is a few years into it. And, uh, and so I told one of my trusted men, no more. Uh, we're not going to do any more lock-ins. And, and he said, graciously, but firmly, are you sure? Like, are, are, are you sure that's really best for our church? Like, are you sure that, that, that there's something actually dangerous about lock-ins at our church? Are you sure it can't be successful here? And I said, well, they said that it's not, it's not a good idea for these reasons. You know, class taught me this. Therefore, since I learned it at Bible college, everything has to automatically apply. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and I listened to what he had to say. And I thought, you know what? I, I think he's probably right. That year, we made some tweaks to our lock-in, and a little tiny church of, of like 80 people, uh, all of a sudden, we had a lock-in of like 85 kids that started with um, multiple baptisms. And it's like, maybe I should, you know, certainly take the wisdom when I'm learning at Bible college, which I learned a lot. They taught me how to think, which is really important, but maybe to listen to those multi-generations around me hmm. and to help, help lead me through this. Um, cause they didn't push back against everything I, I did or didn't want to do, but that one there said, you know, I, I think you need to want check our culture here. Um, and, and so that was just, that's locked with me ever since then. It's just because I hear some advice from somewhere doesn't mean that automatically universally applies. And I would not have known that. And we wouldn't have had that success if I hadn't surrounded myself and been willing to listen to, um, older leaders, um, regardless of what their ministry experience or whatever their experience was in the field that I was working in. You know, Devin, if I can just uh, interrupt, I just processed yep. you're saying this is gold, man. Um, and I was even thinking, you know, like the, the local business owner down the road, you know, how does, how does this apply? And you just think, man, you know, there's other people, other uh, business owners that this isn't the first crisis that they've had to navigate. And there's a wealth of wisdom um, that, you know, if you, if, if you're owning, you're managing somebody that they would be somebody to lean into, to add to your, um, variety of people to speak into your life. But also like when I look, when I, when I go around town and for instance, customer service, um, I can tell the, the businesses that have invested in their employees, uh, to see them be successful with their relationships, with their interaction with other people based on if they're training them or not. You know what I mean? It, there's a huge difference between, you know, when you go through the line and people are just rude and then you go through a different line or a different place and they're respectful, you know, they're, they're good um, with interaction with people. And so anyways, I, I mean, right there, you know, you, you can see, you know, that wisdom just uh, applying a getting people around you who, who have way more experience as well as having this focus of investing in the people um, that, um, that are coming in, whether that's employment, leaders, whatever. So anyway, sorry, continue. Oh, yeah, you, I mean, you, you hit something big there too, which is, you know, if, 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 if there was two like broad scopes that everything that, I, you know, all these points fit into, number one is mission, 
What's the mission of the church? How can we together as a church, as a team? I mean, sometimes I like to, to remind people that a church is a team. How do we together, um, how do we win, make kingdom wins? And, and the second is relationship and like real relationships, not just high, you know, hey, let's go watch the football game together. But like you really go do things. Um, the same, the same thing at that first church is, is, is uh, I had one of, the, one of these leaders I was just was thinking of, he'd be making a trip an hour and a half down the road and said, hey, you want to take a trip with me? And like, I just hop in the truck and we go. Still today, six months ago, um, I, was, I was in that area because I've got family. We've got family that lives in that area. And uh, I went farming with them for a day. Why? But just because of, now we have a relationship. We want to spend the day uh, together. So re- mission and relationship are, are just massive. If nothing else is heard <laughs> from lessons learned, it's those two things. They can never be underestimated. Um, so the, fir- the first thing was, was to t- surround yourself, no matter what business, no matter what you're part of, is to surround yourself with people with a diversity of, of wisdom and experience, young or old. So that's the other thing, multiple experience and multiple generations. Just don't, don't rule out somebody because they're young and don't rule out somebody because they're, they're older. Everybody needs to be sitting at the table together to lead wisely, especially in the context of the kingdom. Um, second is, is uh, this was the hardest one, and this one still hurts today. And I'm still trying to make some things right for my own boneheaded decisions. And, and that is, I was in a context where, in a sense, I, if, if you're just talking like leadership structure, um, in a sense, I was sitting in what you might call chair number two, um, is that uh, there was somebody else that was the primary leader, that they were, the, they were in chair one and I was in chair two. And um, if I'm just honest, most of the time, I felt like I knew better, that I knew better than the person in chair number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here's what I learned is chair one is harder than you think. And you only hurt the organization when you cast doubt on the person in chair number one is, is even if you maybe, even if you do know better, even if you would have made a decision there that when you cast doubt, um, especially publicly, but even privately, when you cast doubt on that person in chair number one, it's not helpful to anything. It's not going to progress. It's not going to progress the mission of the church at all. That the worst thing you can do is 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 to say I knew better than them. I can't believe they made such a silly mistake, and then and then to share that with somebody else or to or whatever. That the best thing I could do is develop a relationship with that person, and if they want to take some things that I've that I've got to offer, fine. If they don't, fine. The reality is they're in chair number one. I'm not in chair number one, and uh, that role is harder. Which I learned as soon as I transitioned to a different church and sat in chair number one. Um, I contacted this individual I'm thinking of, this person I was in chair multiple times and said, just, just expressing gratitude for the fact that this is a lot harder than I thought it was. <laughs> I can read a lot of books if I want to. I can do a lot of studying about uh, what it means to sit in that chair number one role. But until I've sat in that position, I have no right to criticize someone in that spot. Um, I can give advice. I can have opinions. Um, but my role is always to support that person if I'm on that team. And what's best for that team is to support the person in that role. Um, there's a lot more I could say about that, um, but it's probably enough, uh, enough for now. Um, but the third one is probably, the third lesson is probably the most important um, of all of them. I, I heard David Platt say this, and I realized how true it really is, not, not just for him, but was for, for me and for really about anybody else. 
but as he was being asked about his his leadership capacities that he served in, um, he he made the comment that Yad had always asked him to serve in capacities that were disproportionately to the person that he was. That the that the positions that he was going to be sitting in were always too big for him to handle. Um, and I've realized that's the same for me. Starting with Walker, where you know, two weeks into Bible college, I was hired in a position, even though I hardly, I, I'm sure I knew better than this, but I hardly felt like I knew the difference between the Old and New Testament. And yet here I am as a minister, I'm supposed to be leading other people. Um, or when I, when I transitioned to Cornerstone Christian Church in Jackson, Michigan, I'm following a guy that's been there for 44 years and had a steady, steady and, and solid church for many more, many years. In fact, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of our church not too, not too long ago. Um, and I'm stepping into these roles, and I still remember these words. And these are the words that I shared with, with the congregation when I stepped into the position. As uh, when I stepped into that role, I was 28 years old and had no lead ministry experience. And yet they, the leadership team said, we're going to help you be successful. And uh, all I could think was, man, why? When I got there, we moved, we're settled in. I'm getting ready, like ordination Sunday. I'm like, I cannot believe I'm stepping into this role. Um, and yet, that was a reminder of that God has always used me disproportionately to who I am. And so, here's the lesson I learned: was it's any time. And so, this goes back to my previous comment about sitting in chair number two. Any time that I have felt like I'm adequate, any time that I felt like that I have the capabilities or the skills or the knowledge on my own to lead something. I'm in extremely dangerous territory and I'm about to make a big error. But any moment that I have been trying to lead out of who God is and not out of who I am, in those moments that God is going to do some great things to the organization I'm leading. Mm. Devin, that's really good, man. That's, um, that's gold. I know if, if there is anybody who isn't, you know, number one, who is in chair number one, um, they're probably under the breath saying, thank you for saying that, Devin, because um, I want, you know, employees, I want church members, I want other people to hear that, you know, that it, it is, there's a lot more weight that is lumped on your shoulders, you know, and you almost feel like you have to make um, decisions going at like 70 miles an hour and uh, just hope, hope to God and pray that that's the right uh, God honoring decision. You know, it's, ne- it's, it's very rarely is it malicious, you know, and, uh, but almost well, always in, is it and in this season, especially, um, you know, just in the season of pandemic, is as you you realize how clearly that if you're in chair number one, no matter what decision you're making, somebody's going to think differently. Somebody's going to be upset, and so no matter what decision you make, you've got you've got people that are that are excited about the decision making, got some that aren't, and so it, people that have never sat in chair number one don't realize what that what that feels like. I know I didn't. Um, I didn't realize how difficult that it really was. I thought you make a good decision, everybody praises your good decision. You make a bad decision, everybody lets you know about it. It's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's not how it works. You can make the best decision and you can have 95% of people that recognize that that was a wise, prayerful decision, but you've got 5% that are a whole lot louder than the other 95 that are, <laughs> that are going to let you know that they disagree with your decision. So it, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. Man, it's like parenting, right? You know, Oh, my parents are so awful. I can't believe they wouldn't let, let me do this. And then you become a parent and you, you know, you find yourself calling your parents going, Hey, I just want to say thank you so much. And <laughs> I, I respect you. I appreciate you. You know, this, that, that perspective, um, Devin, uh, two, two questions for you in kind of closing. The first is, um, 
how do you stay calm, collected, and healthy in high stress seasons like as a leader? And then would you recommend any resources um, that have been helpful to you? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny that you say uh, calm and collected. I'm not sure I've ever been described as calm and collected. Um, but but there are some there are some there are some practices. Um, two in particular that I, that I just I want to share. And the second one is really probably the most important. The first one is is to I, I guess for a second I'll just speak to those. I, I'm sure this is also true in the business world, but I can't really speak into it. But at least if there's anything in this, I'm going to say that's like exclusively ministry. Here it is: is it um, listen to the core voices? Is there are like when when you make a decision, and or if you're doubting your own self worth, you're doubting your leadership abilities. Is who are the people in your church? that have been faithful followers of Christ, that have loved this church more than uh, more than you have even, that have loved it longer and more, is if, listen to those voices, if those voices are saying, um, encourage, encouraging things you listen to them, if they're saying, well, hey, you, know, you need to think about this, listen to those voices, that it's those core voices that love the church first and foremost, and love Christ first and foremost, that you should be listening to in seasons of difficulty. Um, but more important, well, I mean, not more importantly, but, um, to stay healthy physically and spiritually, the greatest practice I learned, it came from Wayne Cordero and that it, it basically is the concept of, um, when work gets harder, you need to play all the harder. Mm. <laughs> uh, it sounds, it sounds counterintuitive, but it is so true. Um, and I'll just be honest, I'll just, I'll, I'll be a little bit vulnerable here. Of, I have had seasons of of mental health. I've been on the medications and I've had things, I've had to have some, some medical help uh, to help sustain some things. Um, and luckily it was through those seasons that I could remember, ah, I'm not, I'm not playing enough or all oh, I can remember some of these things. And so I've been able to stay away from some of the medical help because of some of these practices. So the reality is like your life is like a giant bucket that um, if you're in a leadership capacity, you've got a drain um, that is always open. And sometimes it might be open wider than others, but it never closes. You always have a drain that's going to drain out your energy. It's going to drain out your life. It's going to drain out your, uh, your health. Um, and it just doesn't shut off. You're always being drained by something, another decision, somebody else that's, that's sick or ill, um, business goes bad, what, whatever. There's always some sort of drain that's draining something out of you. And, um, and it's in those moments that our, our temptation is to, I need to work harder to fix those things. And certainly you, you do, um, you, you need to fix those things. You need to give those things attention. But when we cut off our, 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 uh, our Sabbath or we cut off our fun, whatever it is that fills us up and gives us a little bit of refreshment, if you cut that off, that is like spiritual and mental suicide. Mm. Um, you have absolutely nothing because you're just going to drain out your tank completely where you're going to be of no benefit to anybody in the long run, your business, your organization, or your church is that what we have to do is when, when we're in, in season of difficulty, and I'm so grateful for my wife who has multiple times that you, I, I like to mountain bike. Um, and I like to golf multiple times. My wife has said, today, you need to go golf <laughs> today. You need to go bike mm. because she can sense that I'm cutting off my, my fill. Um, I'm cutting off to go try and stop my drain. And the reality is when I'm trying to stop my drain, it's going to drain even more. Um, and I've got to keep my cup filled. And so you got to play as hard as you work. Um, and you've got to figure out what those things are. For me, I like to, uh, my favorite thing is mountain biking. 
Um, but I also like to, you know, spend time with family. I like to, um, which is non-negotiable, by the way, whether you like to do that or not, you better do that. But <laughs> no, no, that really is a filler for us. But, uh, and I like to golf and just to recognize what those fillers are for you. And um, when things get difficult, you have to stop and you have to go and, and find some time every week. I'm not talking like once every two months or once a month, every single week. Um, you need to have a time that you fill your tank. Mm. That's good. Any, any resources, any books, websites? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the most encouraging slash discouraging book that there is out there for leadership, both for church leaders and for secular leaders. I, I've described it as it's a book um, that every single uh, church staff member and eldership needs to read. Um, it just happens that our church was, our, our leadership was reading through this as the pandemic hit. So that was ironic. Uh, but it's titled Leadership Pain by Samuel Chand. Um, that's all I'll say about that. It's a great book. I think it's a must read. It's going to be hard to read, not because, not because the contents are difficult, but because it, is it, is it shares a lot of the difficult things of ministry. He doesn't avoid the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. He goes and just shares. Basically, if you want to raise your leadership, um, you've got to raise your, your threshold for your pain. Um, um, so he, he's going to talk about some of those things, but it's also encouraging because you hear so many stories of guys that have had situations a lot worse than mine that made it through it and came out stronger through it. Um, and really the other two things that I thought of when it came to resources aren't, aren't necessarily the best resources that I personally have. Again, our relationships, whether they're ministry colleagues or not, just people to spend time with um, that I can just be me. Like I, I don't have to, I don't have to put a guard up. I don't have to be on like I can just be me <laughs> um, with. And, and the other, the other resource that I have is I've got a few guys that I've called or contacted in times where I just had, I just needed somebody that was wiser, had more experience and I knew would have some answers. Um, I'll just throw out their names. One was Wes, Wes Wright. Um, he's out in Oregon. He was Sarah's minister growing up and, I've called him on some things or contacted him. Randy Garris, I've called him on some things. Ben Kacharis out. <laughs> I guess I just needed somebody on each coast. So I've got, I've got the, uh, West Wright out in the West Coast and Ben Kacharis on the East Coast. But uh, that's one of the, been the most valuable resources I've had is just some guys to pick up the phone and call them, um, you know, once or twice a year. Mm. That's good. Devin, thanks so much for your time. And, uh, We'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Catch you later. Thanks for having me. I don't know about you, but after that interview, I feel inspired to just go out and play all the harder. I mean, what a good word of advice. You know, we have had a lot thrown our way over the last several months. I mean, we've had fears due to viruses, isolation, anxiety, and to top it all off, we have seen our nation go from being isolated and alone to divided over the issue of racism. It's very sad. It is very heartbreaking on all fronts. 
Well, tomorrow I'm going to share a bonus episode that I was planning to release later on this summer with my former professor Shane Wood about the conversation and issue of racism. Uh, That will release tomorrow at 10 a.m. And then next Wednesday, uh, I got to sit down with Dr. Scott Womble and have a conversation about how and why the Bible is difficult to understand. Like, have you ever read something in the Bible and been confused or troubled by it? What do you do? How do you handle it? Well, that is the question that I got to ask Scott Womble. And so that will air next Wednesday. Do me a favor really quick. If these episodes have been helpful and encouraging, could you just take a moment and like and leave a comment on them? It helps get these conversations into more people's hands. Well, I hope this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you tomorrow as we talk about the issue of racism and then next Wednesday as we talk about how to handle difficult Bible passages.